Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning as we gather together as God's people. Please stand and join us and let's sing his praises together.
life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection. Father, we thank you that we have so much in which to believe. That you have given us grace upon grace. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. We pray that you will stir our hearts anew about what you've done for us in Christ. And as we worship today, may our hearts be open to you. Your spirit would work in us. Thank you for being present with us today. Be glorified in all that we do. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others in worship today. I wanted to uh, mention one thing. You'll notice that this Saturday um, we're offering a membership class. And uh, Saturday morning, if you're interested in joining the church or just knowing more about the church, I invite you to uh, come to the class. If you uh, plan to come or thinking of coming, let me know in the next few days so we make sure we have uh, materials and things planned for you. Uh, I'd love to have you be a part of the class uh, just to, to learn more about the church or if you're interested in membership as well. also want to uh, thank the class, uh, Holton College class of 1956 for these flowers. They were uh, given to us in memory of uh, Reverend Dr. Billy Graham, who probably you know who died this week, and uh, just the influence that he had on uh, some of the folks in that class and, and many of us as well. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. <clears throat> Sand and stars, how bright, how far, further than my for us reflected in the galaxies gazing at the sky above the evidence of endless love you have for me on and on your love goes on and on the one who was and is and is to come
His love for us never ends, calls us to, to come to Him with our burdens and our concerns, our struggles, just life. So as we spend some time praying together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, it is an awesome thing to ponder your love. Your love that is always true and right. Your love that is endless. On and on and on. Never wavering. We thank you. We are here today only because of your great love. And in response, we bow before you and offer to you our love. We thank you, Father, that in your love you care about everything in our lives and our world. As we gather today, there are, there are many burdens that, that we feel, we bring with us. People who are grieving. We, we do remember, pray for the, the family of Billy Graham. We thank you for this man's life. For the ways that you have used him in powerful ways all around the world. The lives that have been touched to his ministry. And we pray that you will give comfort to his family. We pray, Father, for the family of Pastor Cap Farrow who died this week. May your grace be upon them, giving them strength and comfort in their grief and their loss. Father, there are others of us who are grieving today for our own losses, our own pains. We pray that you will bring the comforting presence of your spirit into each of our lives. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with health issues. We pray especially for Florence Tuber. Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, for Nancy Cole and Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter and Chuck Barrett, for Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King, Doris Sepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson and Bill Getty, Ella Woolsey and Mike Raybuck, for Beverett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar, may your grace be so clearly evident as you work healing for each of them. Father, we, we come today with financial burdens. We ask that, that you will give us the grace to trust you in the midst of those and to see you at work when we could not have dreamed it possible. We come today with relational burdens. Parents and children and siblings and friends husbands and wives. Lord, we pray, Father, that your grace and mercy would be so evident in healing what is broken and restoring as you alone can do in your grace. Father, we come today with burdens about the future, concerns, worries, anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. Maybe it's related to our job, maybe it's related to to life and family issues. Lord, maybe it's related to the world, but we pray that you will fill us with your peace and give us wisdom as we encounter decisions. Father, we pray for not only ourselves, but for the, the wider work of your kingdom in this world. We pray today for churches around us and specifically for the Rushford United Methodist Church and Pastor Russell. May your grace be upon this body of believers as they serve you and as they worship you and as they share you with their community and beyond. We pray for our nation and 
We think of all who are still wrestling and grieving and struggling from the disaster, the tragedy in Parkland, Florida, and others that have been afflicted our nation and the world. Lord, there are so many people who live with, with war and violence as just normal everyday life. We pray that you would bring peace. Pray for those still recovering from recent disasters. We continue to pray for the people of Puerto Rico and ask that, that you would help them in other places as well. Father, we think about uh, your church around the world. We think about the Olympics and to, to see the, 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 the work between North and South Korea, the things that have transpired and we pray that you will continue to bring a de-escalation of division and conflict. But we also pray for our brothers and sisters in, in North Korea who are some of the most oppressed and persecuted people in the world. We pray, Father, that, that you will help them, give them courage and strength. We pray that, that the gospel would not be, be held back by opposition and persecution, but in your grace it would explode. We pray, Father, that you would bring transformation to this nation of people that you dearly love. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Hepzibah Children's Home down in Georgia. As they are transitioning to a different kind of ministry, we pray that you will bless all the people who work there, all of the, the children who come through this home. We pray that, that it will not be a, a lessening of ministry and help, but growing. May your grace be upon them. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for your grace in our lives. During this Lenten season, may our eyes and our hearts be focused on the cross and all that you've done for us in Christ. And may we have such open hearts that when you speak, we listen and we obey. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. And following the reading of the scripture, uh, children uh, up through ages three can be, or third grade can be dismissed for uh, children's and junior church. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Meanwhile, Jesus <clears throat> stood before the governor. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord.
Everybody wants to be successful. I mean, when we start something, we want it to work. We want things to go well. I don't know of anyone who, who enters graduate school hoping to flunk out. Right? I don't know anybody who starts a business hoping that it ends in bankruptcy. I don't know of anyone who, who um, takes their car to a mechanic hoping that when the mechanic's done, it doesn't run. I mean, we, we expect, we hope to be successful. The things that we start, the things that we try, the things that we do, the dreams that we have, we do those things with the intent and with the purpose of being successful. And, and it is because God has put that into us to accomplish things. It is, it's part of what it means to be created in the image of God, because God accomplishes things. All you have to do is look at the creation story, and God is doing all kinds of things, and he gets to the end of each day and says... That's really good. He was successful. And, and it is part of the, of the nature of God's creation to want to be successful. But there is a, a problem that can arise because we live in a world that, in which things come at us that prevent us, us from being successful. We get hurt. We, we feel pain, obstacles get in our way, we struggle, sometimes people oppose us, sometimes it feels like just the world opposes us, and, and what we desire to be successful isn't. And I think it's because of that, that we often live our lives thinking about the things that we want to accomplish, thinking about the things that we want to do, with so, so much so... That being successful, accomplishing things, becomes the number one focus of our existence. And being successful, accomplishing things, getting things done, all these things that are, are good, becomes what grabs our attention and our energy at the expense of other things. And I think that we, I mean, we see this with not just us, but we see it all throughout history, and we certainly see it in, in many people in Scripture. And, and often, these moments of our lives, when we are wrestling with this, come down to a decision. And when I think about the, the, the passion narrative, and I think about someone who is, who is really in the heart of that kind of struggle, it's Pilate. And Pilate, I think Pilate's dilemma is, is sort of summed up in the question that in the middle of his conversation with Jesus and the people and the religious leaders, in the middle of all of that, I think Pilate's dilemma is summed up in the question that he asked the people, what should I do with Jesus? In the middle of, of his decision-making, in the middle of his grasping for success, in the middle of his, his accomplishing what he, all of his hopes and his dreams and his desires for his life, he is faced with this question, what do I do with Jesus? And as the shadow of the cross falls on us, we are faced with that same question. What do we do with Jesus? Now, we have a tendency to think about 
particularly people in the Bible, as being very one-dimensional. It's hard for us to see the complexities of people. Pilate is very complex. We, we struggle with that even with people today. We, if somebody offends us, if somebody hurts us, it's, it's difficult not to see them negatively about almost anything they do. They become very one-dimensional to us. And if people, if people do good for us, if people are on our side, we have a hard time really acknowledging things that they're doing that are wrong. I mean, I think that's one of the things going on in our political landscape is that we've, we, we've decided this, this, is, this person's good, this person's bad. And, and no sense of the complexity of human beings. And Pilate is complex. When I read this story, I find Pilate with a great bit of turmoil in his spirit about what to do. It's obvious to him that Jesus is innocent. I mean, Matthew is clear about that. He has this interview with Jesus. He talks with him. And when he's done, he walks out to the people and says, I got nothing. I'm going to let him go. You know, the man's innocent. And the crowd begins to revolt. And so he walks back into, the, into the, the, the building with Jesus and says, okay, we got to talk a little bit more here. But it's obvious to him Jesus is innocent. Matthew says he knows that Jesus is standing in front of him only because the religious leaders are envious. Because of their self-interest. Because they hate Jesus. It's not because Jesus is guilty. And he knows that, he sees that. And everything within Pilate wants to release Jesus. And he's struggling with that decision. What should I do with Jesus? Because on the one hand, he's wrestling with a real decision about his life. In some ways, this this is a decision in which Pilate is saying, am I willing to take this step? Am I willing to do what's right? At the potential expense of my career. And so Pilate spends most of this time trying to figure out a way to release Jesus without, without really being the person who has to make that decision. Don't we end up finding ourselves in those in that a lot? We come to a place where it's a hard decision, particularly about you know, how it affects uh, our, our dreams, our plans, our desires, what we see as success. And we're faced with this dilemma. We're faced with a decision. And, and we, we know what's right. We know what's not right. We don't really want to make the decision. And so we have a tendency to try to pawn it off on somebody else to make the hard decisions. And so Pilate does that. You know, he... He, takes, says, oh, he finds out Jesus is from Galilee. So he says, oh, well, I'll send you to Herod. Let's let Herod make the decision. We'll let Herod be the bad guy. I think he really wants Jesus to be released, but he doesn't want to face the consequences of making that decision. So he sends him to Herod, and Herod's like, I'm not making that decision, and he sends him back. So now he's got another dilemma, and then he comes up with this great idea. I, I, can all, I picture the scene. Pilate turns to his assistant and says... All right, who is, who's the most dangerous criminal we've got locked up right now? The guy says, oh, that's easy, Barabbas, hands down. He's a Barabbas. He's he's dangerous? Oh, yeah. People hate him? Oh, yeah. The people really want him to stay in prison? They don't want him out in society? Oh, yeah, I'm sure of that. Okay, go get him for me. And he brings him back. And isn't it fascinating? I, you know, it's interesting that, that Matthew tells us that his given name is Jesus Barabbas. And so he stands, and Jesus was not an uncommon name from what I understand. But as he, as he stands there, he says to the people, okay, now, we have this ritual every year at this time of the year where I release you a prisoner. I suspect most of the prisoners that get released are, you know, they're in prison for tax evasion or petty theft or something like that. You know, they're not Barabbas kinds of people who have murdered and committed insurrections and, and treason against the government and they're, they're dangerous. Barabbas is the kind of guy you don't want to meet in a dark alley. You, don't, you try to stay away from him. And he stands there and he says, who do you want, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, the king of the Jews? And I know Pilate's thinking to himself, 
This is easy. I figured it out. I'm a brilliant man. And the people say, we want Barabbas. No one could have been more shocked than Pilate. And you can see him. I, I have a feeling that he may have argued with them. Really? You want Barabbas? Do you know what Barabbas has done? We want Barabbas. And every attempt he makes to try to try to get out of the decision-making fails. And yet, Pilate is still ready to release Jesus until he hears the threat from the religious leaders. And their threat to him is recorded in the 19th chapter of John's Gospel, verse 12. And they say, look, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Now, on the surface, that may not seem like much, it's just words, but this is a threat that has teeth to it. From the beginning of Pilate's time as governor, anywhere from four to seven years by the, by the time this event takes place, Pilate has, has made mistake after mistake with the Jews. Right after he becomes governor, he moves his, his uh, company of soldiers from Caesarea into Jerusalem. And when they come into the city, they come bearing their flags with, with uh, images of the emperor on them. And they, they put them in Jerusalem inside of the temple and the people go crazy. And so much so, they almost begin to riot that Pilate gives in and says, all right, send the guys back. So he's already lost face with them. For some reason, he decides to put some shields in the temple that have the names of other deities on them. And now the people really go crazy. And they begin to riot. And there's almost a a war going on there. And it's only when the emperor steps in and says to Pilate, you've got to get those out of there, that he removes them. And then he wants to build a new aqueduct into the city of Jerusalem. And he steals money out of the temple treasury to pay for it. And now the people have had enough. And they begin to riot in the streets. And Pilate sends his soldiers dressed in street clothes among them at a given signal. They just begin beating people. Numerous people are killed. They execute others. It is a mess. And when word gets back to the emperor, he is upset with Pilate. He's saying, look, you can't treat these people like this. This is bad leadership. And, And do I need to just find somebody else to do this? Can you not handle it? And as the Jewish people say, the religious leaders say to him, you're no friend of Caesar. Pilate, in his mind, is thinking, if I release Jesus and they riot and word gets back to the emperor, I'm done for. All my hopes and dreams are going to be crushed. All, everything I've worked for, everything I've given my life for, everything that I've planned for is going to be lost if I do the right thing. And so he does the next best thing he can do. He says, I'm going to release Jesus, but I'm not going to take responsibility for it. It's not my fault. And he gets out a basin of water and washes his hands and says, I'm clean. Isn't it interesting that just before this, Jesus takes a basin of water and washes the feet of his disciples? And now here's Pilate taking a basin of water and saying, I'm not taking any responsibility for this blood. And the people say, no problem, we'll take it. And Pilate hands him over. He makes his decision. I think one of the most interesting things about this story is the dream that Pilate's wife has. She sends a message to Pilate in the middle of all this and says, I just had this nightmare. Stay away from this guy. He's innocent. Don't do it. It makes me think, it makes me think of what Dennis Kinlaw said when he was talking about Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And as they're beginning to do that, Peter picks up a sword and he swings it and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Malchus is the servant of the high priest. He's there to represent the high priest, to make sure everything goes okay. And Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter and he picks up the ear and he restores it. 
and Kinlaw says when he goes back to Caiaphas, the high priest, and he reports on what happens, and he tells the story of his ear, he says, I think that's, that's one last love note from God saying to Caiaphas, do you really want to do this? And I think this dream is one last love note to Pilate saying, do you really want to do this? Is this really what you want to do? Do you really want to make this decision? Sometimes we have this sense that that Pilate was just sort of destined to do this, but I don't think so. Pilate's not a pawn of God here. Pilate is being tempted to be a pawn of Satan. Jesus comes to reconcile the world, but Pilate doesn't have to be the catalyst for that. Pilate doesn't have to take this action. God is saying to him, look, you'll have to do this. There's a better way. Let me work in you. Let me show you. Let me, let me speak to you. There is another choice you can make. And you know, I find that God does that with us. One of the things about thinking about the shadow of the cross falling on us. And as we said last week, it, it's that sense of when you're walking down the street and the sun goes behind the clouds and you notice shadows all of a sudden. Or you walk past a building and it's tall enough and the sun is hidden and you walk from the sunlight into the shadows and it grabs your attention. And I think God does that for us. I think those are love notes to us. You know those moments when you're angry and you're upset, you've been hurt and, and, you're, gonna, and you're ready to lash out. You've prepared the words, you've got it all ready and you're ready to go. And just at the moment that you're ready to start, the phone rings or somebody's at the door. The kids need you. And it distracts you for a little bit. And in those moments, you hear God's voice saying to you, do you really want to say that? Do you really want to say it like that? You know, when you hit send, you can't get it back. When those words are spoken, they're alive. They're real. And I think that the shadow of the cross falls on us continually in those moments to say, stop, just think about it a second. Do you really want to make that decision? Is that really the direction you want to go? And God gives us a glimpse, I think, of those moments of of where, how far this decision might take us. It's his love notes. God sends us those love notes because it's difficult to make those decisions. It's hard. We wrestle. This isn't just about for people who are trying to decide about entering in with Jesus. This is about the life with Jesus. And and it is so much easier to choose success than it is to choose a cross. Because everything around us is continually telling us it's about success. Make the decision that's about self-interest, self-protection. Make the decision that to do what will help you the most, not necessarily the decision that you know is right. It's hard. It's difficult. We wrestle with that. I think it was Dostoevsky who said, without God, everything is possible. When you remove God from the picture, you can do whatever you want to because there is no more right and wrong. There is no more, there's no more this kind of of what is good and what is bad. I was reading, I've been reading the, I just finished reading the Dusty Ones book by A.J. Swoboda, who's our clue speaker a couple years ago. And and he he talks in there about this this idea of, you know, of when when you follow Jesus, there are limitations. There are things that that are right and wrong that God calls us to. He said, I I continually amaze at people that say that, you know, faith is just sort of a crutch to get you through life. He said, since when did a cross become a crutch? The problem is we just thought about it in a wrong way. But the truth of the matter is we are called to the cross. 
And sometimes we, we even get mixed up in, in, the, in the decisions we're making of thinking, well, this is good. This is a good thing. This is, I'm, I'm making a decision to do good. And that's awesome. But the call of the gospel is not to do good. It's to follow Jesus. There are lots of people in the world who have nothing to do with Jesus, have nothing to do with the God we worship, who do good. And it's, it, that's great. I was just reading the other day about, it said that the, one of the nations that had the, the highest degree of, of environment-friendly actions were the Nazis. There are lots of people who do good, and, and, and we want to do good. But the calling of the gospel is to follow Jesus. It makes me wonder if Pilate isn't in his mind running around. If I release Jesus, it's not just going to be difficult for me, but maybe if it starts a riot, it's going to be different for a whole lot of other people. It's going to be difficult for them. People are going to die. People are going to be hurt. It's going to create chaos for so many. Maybe it's better to sacrifice one person for the good of the whole. But he's wrong. Because deep inside, even that argument is really, it's about me. It's follow Jesus. It's the challenge of the cross. And it's in the moment when the shadow of the cross falls on us in conviction that we have to also remember that anything we give up for the cross. God provides. We have to think about a bigger perspective than what we tend to think about. God will provide, not necessarily in earthly things, but certainly in eternal things. And when we think about success, we are so often just thinking about now. When, when scripture and the gospel is calling us to think of success eternally. I mean, as Jesus himself says, what, does it, what good for, it is, for us is it if we gain the world and lose our soul? It's about the eternal kingdom. It's what Philippians 2 is describing for us. In in that chapter that we often quote, we we talk about the verses 6 to 8 that says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we are called to that mindset. But we often miss verses 9 to 11. That says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Every knee would bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And Paul begins that section saying, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And that mind is not just be willing to embrace the cross, but have the mind of why we embrace the cross. Because it's an eternal decision. It's because God has bigger things for us than we often have for ourselves. And when we come to those decision moments, the love notes that God sends us, the word that God sends us, is that there is so much more if you follow me. And what we often view of success is, is in many ways so puny compared to what God desires and how God sees it. I know it's hard. It's hard for all of us. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love and, and talking about how the love, doing love the way Jesus does is difficult and it's a struggle and it's a pain. And he says the reason we wrestle so much with that is because our perspective is limited. 
Now, we see through a glass darkly. We can't quite get it, but that's why it's faith. That's why it's trust. And that's the call of the gospel. George MacDonald, the poet, the author, the pastor, man who had such tremendous influence on C.S. Lewis coming to faith, once said, the Son of God did not suffer unto death so that we would not suffer, but so that our suffering might be like his. So that our suffering, our pain, our struggles might lead us to what it does for Jesus. In the moments of our decisions, in the moments when we, when we are wrestling, we hear Pilate's question echoing through our minds as the shadow of the cross falls on us. So what do we do in the middle of this with Jesus? Who says to us, follow me. Follow me. And find that I am bigger and greater than you can ever imagine. Father, we thank you for, for the fact that you simply will not let us go. You desire more for us than we do for ourselves. Reveal to yourself to us. Show us. Help us. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.